Welcome everyone to the 63rd episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with Nick Tartaglia. Uh, Nick, what is up, man? You're in Canada. I'm in America. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of chaos happening right now. Yeah, and it's on a perfect day with what we just supposedly heard that, well, from the term, let's say from the words of the administration in the United States on the Democrat side, that apparently Putin is actually declaring officially war. Well, that's what they're saying, although I'm pretty sure they're exaggerating things a little because they have a tendency to do that. But that added to a little bit of the chaos now in the mix of all this chaos. So now we've got to worry about the natural gas prices. How's that going to get impacted? We saw gold respond a little, not too much though, but uh, things just got escalated a little more now. I, I think, I think there's a lot of asset prices that in 2020 were not performing well are starting are slowly starting to wake up and are proving that, you know, correlations and statistics are actually still around like fundamentals still drive market activity. Um, you know, Geopolitically, we spoke about it last two weeks, Nick. Um, there's a lot of stuff. I, I think that's kind of toned down a little bit with all the smokescreen. Most of it's been priced in. But I think what we're going to do today is uh, we've had this gentleman on before. Uh, it's going to be a nice little segue uh, into where this market is going, because ultimately this gentleman has pretty much been on the ball with his Instagram post, who we've been following very closely, especially with the charting uh, on specific commodities and precious metals. So uh, we just want to say welcome back to the New Gen Mindset podcast, Tavi Costa. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. Yeah. So Tavi, we brought you on last time. Uh, it was much, it was a much different market than when it was right now, but you were that one guy who basically said that do not sleep on precious metals. Um, would you say that this European invasion or this Russian invasion is a bit of a wild card? What, what's your take on what's going on right now? Oh, it's a little bit of a wild card. I think, I think the Taiwan was not as much, but this one is a little bit I think was off my radar at least. And to be honest, um, had to kind of catch up on the news from 2014 when that happened. Um, but, but it's, you know, this is part of a trend that we've been following closely, which is, um, geopolitical issues along with, uh, deglobalization patterns that we started really, I think it started back with Trump, maybe a little earlier than that, but Trump certainly intensified those, uh, those trends, and uh, since then we've we've had uh, many conflicts uh, in different parts of the world, and so that is one of the reasons why I think inflation has been so suppressed over the last thirty years, and that change is now starting to reflect on uh, the change of consumer prices and services, and so that is on top of the underinvestment in in commodities in general. So. Geopolitical issues are first and foremost uh, very inflationary, um, and I think they're here to stay. It started even got even more uh, of a, of a bigger problem after the pandemic um, with China in the U.S. and Russia now becoming the wild card. Uh, but commodities are becoming more of a macro strategic asset. Uh, in general, uh, we're seeing oil uh, coming back. Oil was always a very strategic commodity, but now uh, I would say even more than before. Uh, agricultural commodities are going to play a big role, I think. Um, gold and silver um, are going to play a big role in regards to um, a lot of central banks that will need to improve the, the quality of their international reserves. Uh, and so those are all the things that we've, we've got to think about. The, those, those are all big themes, macro themes. 
Um, and the U.S. got a lot of macro imbalances that uh, will constrain them from um, from doing a lot of things that we saw in the past. So we can get into that if you guys want to. Yeah, but those are all my thoughts. Yeah, well, like today, the uh, former president of uh I forget what exactly what position, but it has to do with the United, uh, with the Russia. And he made a post talking about if sanctions start getting implemented on Russia, you could see a potential uh, doubling in the natural gas prices in, in Europe. And, you know, that's a huge headwind against uh, inflationary pressures. And then the, the other thing that makes you worry about is, you know, the consequences that plays on, you know, lower middle income, in, uh, income families, the, because, you know, natural gas obviously plays a role in uh, and greenhouses, so obviously fresh produce, and people won't be able to afford necessarily, and you know to the extent that this will perpetuate a you know an unhealthy cycle again in people. But like, what, what are you saying in terms of your technicals or in terms of your graphs and everything? Well, I, I think the net gas situation is is there's a theme that is happening already, but certainly was accelerated now with these issues with with uh, Russia, which has to do with this idea that the U.S. will be exporting natural gas to uh, European countries in a much larger uh, fashion and decreasing the dependency of Russia and European countries. Um, I think there are countries that will benefit from this environment. I think Brazil, I've never been bullish on Brazil, um, and I've been now uh, turning very bullish because I think uh, strategically, perhaps Brazil may actually play an important role uh, in the global economy. Uh, by supplying a lot of the commodities. It's a very commodity-rich uh, country, just like Canada and some other places. And uh, I think it will be a, a significant part of the global economy here now. And so, you know, if that is correct, I think Brazil is extremely mispriced for, um, for, for what it could be ahead of us. And so I like to have a small position there, but it's, uh, you know, I think, I think it's um, from a valuation perspective is also... Uh, very attractive to be investing in, in Brazil right now. It's very interesting considering emerging markets have kind of been a topic of ongoing, like, are we risk on, are we risk off? And you're starting to see these emerging countries that, like you said, are going to benefit, you know, greatly from, from the inflationary pressures that unfortunately the Western societies are going to have to bear, especially with the fact that there's just news that came in that both the United States and Canada have just sanctioned uh, Russian produce. So, yeah. um, it's again, I, I, I'm at the belief that this stuff is kind of a smokescreen for something that's a lot, you know, kind of that the, a lot of the masses just don't see yet. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the fact that we had a bull market or it still technically is a bull market if we want to call it, but 2020 was a sugar rush. Everyone was buying tech names like to a point of no return. And now you fast forward to two years later, you're seeing a situation where technology stocks are down almost 90% from their all time highs. So meta blue chip, you know, down almost 50%. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you see stuff like that, what's your, what are discussions like with one of your clients uh, and what can you tell sort of the, those, you know, those investors, especially millennials and Gen Zs who bought at the top of those markets? Like, wh what's your message for them? Well, unfortunately, that is a little bit of a classic move from folks that unfortunately don't have a lot of experience or knowledge in the markets. And I'm not claiming here that I do, but um, I've certainly been following some of those trends for more, for a little longer than, than some of the, the current market participants. I think we've had a once in a lifetime a fundamental boost really financed by the government. 
by giving out money to the consumers um, and where we've saw savings account really declined by about $5 trillion in, in 18 months. It went from all-time highs to near all-time lows in about 18 months. $5 trillion uh, came straight to corporations, basically, and, and gave this boost where margins, uh, earnings, uh, sales, free cash flow, everything went up. And so when we look at the across the board of fundamentals, everything looks incredible. The thing is, now uh, we're seeing analysts, Wall Street in general, also starting to have unrealistic expectations uh, about the fundamentals of those companies. Uh, CapEx is one great example. CapEx right now is expected to be growing at its fastest pace we've seen in history. But there are a lot of macro indicators showing that perhaps the, the, the peak of those earnings and the peak of those fundamentals are maybe uh, uh, already there. And so what we're going to see here, I think, ISM manufacturing is rolling over. That leads uh, profit margins by about eight, uh, six months. Um, uh, financial conditions is starting to tighten with credit spreads rising, junk bond yields rising. That leads to bankruptcies in about six to uh, eight months. Um, we've seen other very good contrarian indicator, which is the tight labor market. You know, how much can the labor market continue to improve here? Uh, we're basically as good as it gets when it comes to labor markets, continuing jobless claims, the lowest levels in 50 plus years. And there is a notion today that I think is starting to show signs that is a total fallacy uh, that inflation is positive for stocks. I don't think that's the case. Historically, that has not been the case. 1910s and 1970s are both great examples showing where the real return of U.S. stocks was actually negative in real terms. And today, if a company is not growing at double digits on top line, it's, it's essentially not keeping up with inflation because inflation is not 7.5%, all of us know. So real inflation is, is, is at least double digits. And so if that's the case, a company needs to be growing at least double digits. And with very low pricing power, for the majority of companies in S&P 500 or Russell 3000, whatever you want to look at in a broader sense, very few companies have uh, this uh, pricing power uh, in order to, uh, to sustain margins um, and, and pass it on to consumers. So we have two things kind of going on. We've got energy prices going higher, uh, material prices going higher, and wages and salaries are going to start squeezing the margins of companies. So I'm extremely worried about companies. You know, I started really worry, being worried about long duration assets. Now, for me, it's passing on to mega cap companies. I think, I think mega cap companies will continue to underperform natural resource industries. Um, I think the Apples and Teslas and Microsofts and Netflix of the world, Facebook is already there. Uh, Facebook reminds me of DocuSign. It was kind of like the first company to really uh, collapse in, in, the, in the software space. I think we're seeing the same thing and the whole trend is going to follow along. And so it's quite concerning. I think quite a lot of market participants have not really experienced uh, this type of market. And so it's, it's a total transition. It is a growth to value type of uh, rotation uh, that will take time to, um, to, to occur, uh, but it's, it's certainly happening already. And so I think, I think we'll continue to do so. And it gives us, the best and probably most bullish setup for tangible assets that I've seen in history. 
You know, it's funny listening to Wall Street or Main Street talk. It's when they when they make their case or whatever the case may be, they, it, it's as if they assume that the future looking market is going to be in the same condition pre-COVID, which is odd because it, you know, they, they ignore a lot of, you know, sentiment, uh, different they're ignoring so many variables, you know, the real yields, the debt, the spending. Like, for example, do you think, do you believe that if the government wants to inject more capital, let's say over trillions of dollars for like, let's say the build back better, that they could even afford to raise interest rates five times, 10 times this year? I, I, the answer is, short answer is no. I think the Fed, the, the Fed and the U.S. economy is facing, uh, you know, once, you know, this is the first time in history that it's facing three macro imbalances that are just as large as we've seen other times. It's the debt to GDP problem of the 40s and financial repression that we saw back then. It's the inflationary problem that is driven by natural resources and wages and salaries growth of the 70s. And then you have the speculative environment that we saw back in late 90s. And those are all a kind of an explosive uh, mix uh, that were created after a long time of misguided policies on the monetary and fiscal side. And so policymakers have basically become their own prisoners right now. And it, those imbalances will constrain them to, from doing anything uh, that is relevant. So raising interest rates to 2%. Do you think copper or oil or agricultural commodities really care about that? Now, the answer is, I don't think so. Now, look at what happened in Brazil. Brazil fighting inflation just took it to another level. They had to take inflation to basically our interest rates to double digits. It's kind of like what we saw back in the 70s. The difference is, is developed economies are not capable of doing that because otherwise the whole system collapses. And so, you know, we like to think wow, you know, this is the 1970s. It's such an incredible time to be buying commodities. But is it really the 70s? I don't think so. I think it's, it, it's even more extreme than the 70s because in the 70s, we didn't have debt. We didn't have valuation problems. It was easy to raise interest rates, easier. Uh, but now there's no way they could do that. So this is, I think, one of the most... Uh, bullish and optimistic uh, times that I've seen to own gold, silver at a time when everyone is under allocated into commodities. Yeah. You know, we just went through a meetings, a ton of meetings back in Miami uh, with capital allocators. And one of the takeaways of all that was the lack of understanding and knowledge about this industry. And hmm. well, look, we don't have geologists. You now there's not enough people that know how to navigate the space. And so how do we develop, explore, um, how do you do all different things in order to supply the world and electrify the world going forward if we don't have those materials? And so even from the labor market, we're, we're, we're seeing the same scarcity issues. And so uh, it's a secular trend, it's a chronic underinvestment in natural resources that is causing all those imbalances. And I think the, the, the Fed and the government have basically zero control over this. Mm. Um, and so I'm quite concerned about inflation and, and, and how things are going to shape up, because I think it will look very different in the prior 10 years. It's funny. I was talking to a few mining CEOs these last couple of weeks. And the one thing that they said is literally what you just said is like, there's not enough young people in the space because mm -hmm. there's this, it's a huge gap too, actually. I'm pretty sure like, you know, the guys who've been around, they're like in their sixties and like, you know, seventies. And then the gap in between, maybe there's like a couple of people who are just starting like under 30 or under 40. Right. So there's that huge gap 
uh, that's kind of, I don't want to say concerning, but you know, when everyone is looking at the shiny object that's out there in the market, which in this case, and I have nothing against it. I think the technology is great. I think NFTs are going to be, there's going to be a purpose for that stuff. Speculative right now in terms of pricing Bitcoin. Yeah. There's all this uncertainty, but you know, if you believe in that technology, but that's paved the way for all this opportunity, like you said, in the, in the precious metal space. So, you know, when, when you see what's ultimately happening globally right now, um, on, on a supply chain level and inflation is not, like you said, I, I kind of laughed when I saw that meme, the 7.5%, that's not what the actual CPI number is. Um, where does the market go from here? I know it's very difficult to answer because we can't predict the future and where we don't have a crystal ball, but just based on what you're seeing right now, where, what's the worst case scenario that you're seeing and what's the best case scenario? Um, I don't know if I think about the world in those senses, but I'm going to try to answer your question regarding where I think the market will go from here. Um, I think this is a relative game where uh, you will see inflationary assets continue to rise relative to growth types of assets, such as long duration assets like software companies or technology. I highly doubt that a big cap company will outperform um, a gold miner or a uh, oil company or an agricultural related business or a fertilizer or, you know, there are so many different types of commodity related businesses or a base metal company. Um, and so this is where my focus has been, where I'm looking at the best way to build a portfolio on the long end. I think there's a big, big chance we're going to see a food crisis mm -hmm. driven by agricultural commodities and driven by geopolitical issues. Um, and so I've been buying agricultural commodities in different forms. Um, I think that that's one of the big, biggest um, cases here. Um, I've been short U.S. treasuries. I waited a little bit recently uh, until um, uh, a little bit of a rally. Today, I added back to that trade. I think I think 10-year yields are headed higher. Um, I think that this is also the case across Europe, across uh, other parts of developed economies, such as Japan, uh, maybe Australia, maybe Canada too. Um, so I'm worried about long-term interest rates continue to rise a little bit from here because if the Fed wants to take interest rates to one or 2% uh, and not invert the yield curve, they basically have to allow long-term long rates to rise. And I'm very much aware of the amount of net issuances of those instruments in the markets uh, and the lack of buyers of those as the Federal Reserve, it starts to think about depleting their reserves or depleting their, their balance sheet assets. So a lot of things to unpack there. Equity markets, um, I don't know if it's going to crash, but I would be very, very surprised if we see new highs this year. I think we've seen the highs for the year already. Um, and um, I'm concerned we're going to be uh, kind of the beginning of 2000s when the market kind of slowly went um, uh, down, um, but with some moments of pain, uh, of, of very severe declines. I think we're going to see something similar to that. Uh, and we're going to continue to rotate into uh, natural resource companies. And I think eventually we'll see this major appreciation of, <clears throat> of gold and silver. I think gold is breaking out. I think silver is doing the same right now. Um, and platinum already did it. I think miners will follow. So 
know, obviously I have a lot of opinions and I have a lot of positions, but that's basically what I'm doing. And I also continue to be short as a hedge to my inflationary kind of setup. I have a hedge, which is being long the dollar relative to the Chinese yuan and long the dollar relative to the Hong Kong dollar. Um, and also now we added a short uh, Japanese yen uh, position too. So that's basically a, a pretty good idea of what we're doing now. Oh, and I'm very short um, junk bonds. I think junk bonds are headed lower and uh, credit spreads are going to head higher in my opinion. And so one way to play that is to be short uh, junk bonds. So there you have it. A pretty uh, pretty good idea of how I am exposed right now. And I'm very long exploration assets in gold and silver space. The, uh, the constant, and this just builds on what Nick said, uh, the constant feeding of the media narrative of like, you know, one year, if you go back a year ago, it's like tech's been the best ever thing globally, right? Um, all of a sudden, when they talk about precious metals, it's not really a topic that the media decides to really focus on. Um, why do you think that is? Mm. Um, I think it's just been out of favor in general. Um, it's, it has shrink to become almost a meaningless uh, industry relative to other parts of the market. The natural resources today are close to $10 trillion. That's basically less than 10% of the global equity market, which is about $120 trillion. Uh, if, if you exclude energy of that, you're talking $3 trillion worth of public companies and natural resource industries and gold and silver make up, I don't know, $550 billion of that. So it's, it's very small. It's almost insignificant. So um, I think we've seen um, inflation has never been a problem over the last uh, 20 to 30 years. Um, we've had central banks is starting to extrapolate it towards um, how to build a, a credible central bank balance sheet where we went from owning gold, owning tangible assets back in the 70s and before that, to now owning debt of other countries. That's how insane it sounds, but it is. Um, you know, the most credible economies in the world, they're credible because they have stronger balance sheets. And if you analyze those balance sheets, the reason why they're perceived as strong is because they own a, a ton of U.S. treasuries. Well, U.S. treasuries are just debt from the U.S. And so it is not backed by anything tangible. This crypto, uh, crypto uh, revolution is indeed a, a very uh, political uh, movement, in my opinion, uh, that in a way brings the sense back of of finding an anchor uh, to uh, fiat currencies that have lost their anchor in many, many decades. <clears throat> and so in order to rebuild that credibility, I think central banks will have to buy uh, a tangible asset. I think gold will play that role into this and silver will benefit from that. Um, so, you know, monetary assets have, uh, uh, will become, in my opinion, more and more part of allocations of, of of big players. And <clears throat> I think that's going to drive the demand for gold. But um, no, there's a lot of things to go back to. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are worried about gold and silver uh, and the volatility across those assets. But look, what worries me the most are things that are over allocated versus under allocated. The whole world is long technology. The whole world is long treasuries. 
Uh, very few people were along gold, silver, and the miners. And now what a great opportunity that we're seeing right now. And we're be being able to purchase assets that I don't think I would ever be able to purchase right now. Um, and so it's a, I'm extremely, I'm extremely optimistic about this whole space. And I think we're in a turning point for uh, precious metals in general. What's your, what's your favorite, just, you know, a little more of the side thing. Like what's your favorite way of investing in precious metals? Do you go purely equity? Like uh, you go equities, you go tangible. Uh, do you like playing the spot price? Do you play the futures? How do you usually, what's your favorite way of doing it typically for yourself at least? For myself, I own very small amount of physical gold and silver. Um, and uh, I own the majority of what I own is either in our funds or also um, a large percentage is uh, I co-invest with the funds into deals that we negotiate. So a lot of that is into companies that own properties with gold and silver in the ground, which I think is the most levered way hmm. of being um, of being long uh, minerals in general. If you think about it, um, oil prices going up, uh, it's actually could could uh, could also squeeze the big miners uh, along with mm -hmm. uh, wages and salaries. We're seeing that in our companies that we own, uh, but the cost of operating companies in exploration uh, space is still very low. So companies that are in the development and mining phase of this industry can actually get squeezed by wages and salaries and also energy prices going higher, especially open pit projects that are require much higher level of energy prices or energy uh, commodities in order to uh, to produce those those commodities. So <clears throat> I think um, you you have to um, I think it's a good time to be to own uh, the the metals or to look for the most levered way in a sense of leverage to the price, not debt uh, um, of, of those, of those uh, commodities. And I think exploration assets, so owning the actual commodity in the ground is the most levered way uh, to be exposed to that. So for me, that has been most of what I've been doing with my own money. Do I play with the futures market? Yes, I do. It's a liquid way <clears throat> to be long. I was very long gold before this breakout. Um, I, I thought and I've done it before and it didn't work. Um, this time I was, I was fortunate. Um, but it's, you know, when I think that we're at this critical, uh, moments, I certainly bet on, uh, on the positive side of, of precious metals. And I think copper is doing a massive consolidation. We're going to see something big coming out of this, uh, to the upside, um, I think agricultural commodities are showing the same way. Those I play through uh, futures and, and ETFs or options on the ETF, um, all sorts of ways. But I, I hope I answer your question. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so, like, I had some thoughts. I wanted, I want, I want to share them with you, and I want you, I want to see what you think of them. So, for example, like when we're talking about the geopolitical risk um, increasing, obviously. Like if you talk to Rick Rule, Rick Rule always said that the more chaos the world experiences, the more value gets gets directed towards precious metals, because it's kind of your way to revert back to the mean. So with the expanding geopolitical risks, uh, you then you have what you have Russia, you have Ukraine, you have uh, United States meddling itself and everything. You have the possibility of China doing something with Taiwan on the backside of the tension with uh, with the Russia. Um, 
you have deglobalization that you mentioned before, things like where a lot of countries are starting to kind of disconnect from other countries that they no longer agree with because of political tension. And I find that when, I mean, from a historical, historical standpoint, or if, when you look at uh, countries that kind of get into these periods of uh, geopolitical tensions, they tend, they tend to want to increase their capital allocation from a government standpoint because they need to secure national interests. So they kind of go into these, um, these kind of conflicts with other countries fighting over natural resources and, and stuff like that. So it, I feel like that would add to the inflationary pressure because governments will have to spend money since countries are no longer working together. So it complicates things. So I have that that I want to know maybe if you thought about that as a geopolitical risk kind of increasing government's um, desire to spend for national security purposes. 100%. I think uh, more than any other time in history, what drove um, what drove and what worked for China to be able to become the manufacturing plant of the world has been low commodity prices. We got to think about what is the impact of being in a bull market for commodities and how, how does China continue to buy commodities uh, at much higher prices um, at a, in, in order to grow at seven, eight, nine, 10% annual rate? And so um, I think it's, it's deglobalization is one of the most important pillars of inflation. There are others that are, I think, even as important, but that, that's a very important one. Um, and it's it's difficult because you know we're kind of in that fourth turning situation uh, from uh, uh, fourth turning fourth uh, turning book, uh, which I think it's it's a good book to understand uh, and give you a historical perspective of other times uh, that we had similar issues. And I think um, we are you know peak inequality is a big theme. For instance, in the U.S., you know I think governments will be forced to continue to support. Um, support the, the lower classes in a bigger and bigger way, even though if it's if it's driving the first percentile or the top percentile of the of the country lower or bringing up the lower classes higher, I think we're going to see strategic investments uh, in the U.S. in order to uh, benefit companies uh, to build things in the U.S. Um, and that's going to become more costly. I think we're uh, at the beginning of a wage wages and salaries growth spiral, which we saw back in the late 60s. I think we're going to see something similar today. Labor markets might actually uh, increase the labor participation because of the cost of living rising. Um, what else? I think I think that the underinvestments in, in commodities is an issue you cannot fix overnight. It's an issue that, you know, some of the best uh, projects that we have invested, if we're lucky, we would have them producing those minerals in seven to 10 years from now. So, you know, there has been a lack of spending on exploration of, of and production of, of commodities in general. So how do you fix that problem? Um, infrastructure, the U.S. needs more infrastructure. Uh, in order for you to do that, you need uh, more materials. Um, so everything leads to an inflationary environment. And the last one that I didn't mention is the monetary debasement, um, which maybe is something that has to do with what Rick Rolt said more in the ge geopolitical sense. But uh, certainly monetary debasement is something that drives the price of gold and other tangible assets. And when you're seeing the degree of issuances of, uh, of debt instruments like we're seeing right now, uh, who is going to be the buyer of all that? 
you know, either we're going to drive fiscal stimulus much, much lower, uh, or we're going to need monetary stimulus to continue to fund fiscal. And so, you know, it's almost like we're reading the newspaper of one or two to three years from now, in my opinion, where at some point we're going to see some effort towards yield curve control. But first, we need to see rates going higher. And so that's kind of my, you know, my, my plan is, is we're going to see rates higher than yield curve control, and that's going to drive tangible assets significantly higher. It's going to be the, uh, you know, this, this bull market in steroids at that point. So it's when the, the, the market really realizes we do have inflation, inflation is sustainable, and we can't do anything about it. So I think that's going to be the, the big tell for, for gold, silver, and some other markets. And we're probably at peak tightening right now for, for the Fed. I mean, this whole narrative is a little bit of nonsense. We went too far to the other side. Other people talking about five, nine interest rate increases in a year. I think that's crazy. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I kind of want to build on that uh, because obviously March is kind of that next meeting that everyone's eyeing right now, but it's, it's blown my mind as to how much debt has been like injected into the system. And, you know, for one re for one group of economists, you know, the Keynesians, unfortunately, they just believe that, Oh, we just got to, you know, we print our way out of problems right now. And then you got the other side, which is always saying, no, we got to figure out a way to get society to become labor producers. Right. (laughs) So what, what do you think with, with everything that we just talked about, you know, agriculture and then a possible food shortage crisis that, you know, I think, it wouldn't surprise me if that rolled in anytime soon, but like, what, what do you think is some of the challenges right now that any type of developed country uh, is going to face both from an economic standpoint or from a socio uh, political standpoint as well? Well, it's, it's how do you, how do you keep a lid on inflation without causing cost of capital to rise? It's just no way around that. You know, you can't, you can't stop inflation from rising without either, uh, making monetary conditions much tighter. And so now we're talking about mostly on the government and what about corporations? Corporations are most indebted they've been uh, in any other time in history. And so that has been very cheap. And the biggest challenge for developed economies is that world is, is gone. Uh, we're we're going to have to think about higher costs of capital. Cost of capital today, it's at the highest levels at the, uh, for the S&P 500 companies since 08. The difference is, again, we have much larger uh, leverage uh, ratios than we had back then. Uh, even from a net debt, so we, uh, subtracting cash uh, to, uh, to EBITDA ratio, uh, those ratios are you know today much higher than what we saw back in other uh, speculative environments. So the imbalances on the corporation side and the government side are very, uh, are, I think, concerning. Uh, the other thing as well is um, we would have seen a lot more bankruptcies and companies failing uh, in the last one or two years if the government didn't step up. And I'm not saying this was the right approach or wrong approach. I'm just saying certainly that was the biggest reason why we've seen uh, the level of bankruptcies to decline the way it did. Uh, which some folks say that it justifies junk bond yields to be at the suppressed levels that we have today. But I don't think that's true. I think, I think you know, we've seen this once in a lifetime fundamental boost among corporations. Um, we've seen all the intervention from the monetary fiscal side uh, that helped a lot of those companies to stay alive. 
And now we have inflation. And the question is, will the Fed and the government continue to help those companies? So as a money manager, you got to think about, well, then what do I want to short in this market? Because I think balance sheets, size of balance sheets matter when cost of capital begins to rise. And there are a lot of indebted companies out there. Which ones of the companies are going to get either squeezed by higher interest rates, higher wages and salaries, or higher energy prices? And by designing different baskets of companies that you can short in that camp, that's what we've been doing. I think casinos are in that camp. Um, I think some of the uh, cruise companies are in that camp. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of companies that maybe uh, in industries that can uh, be part of that category of risky parts of the market right now. Um, so those are, I think, cost of capital is going to be the biggest question for developed economies. And, and it, will, it will change leadership of the market. It's already changing. Uh, you know, welcome to the world of higher cost of capital. Welcome to a world of inflation. And this is not what we saw back 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, this is very, very different. And buying the dip, it will, won't get you what got you, you know, 5, 10 years ago. It's going to be very different in my opinion. Do you think you might see something like the Nikkei where we had like stagnation in the overall market for a couple of decades? Could you potentially see that happening in the West? I think that that happened because we had low valuations across all those decades. You know, obviously back in the 90s, we saw a crash, which brought valuations back to normal. And then we had that environment of, of stagnation. But the stagnation was also something else that happened back then was inflation. We saw a disinflationary environment in, from the 90s all the way to today. I don't think that's going to be it. I think we're going to see much more volatile environment. I think we're going to see maybe stagflation uh, in some parts of the next few mm -hmm. years. Um, but I don't think it's going to be a suppressed volatility kind of market. I think when you start seeing, you know, look, NASDAQ today or the mega cap companies imply volatility or actual volatility for the last 30 days is higher than Brazilian equities, is higher than emerging markets. That's crazy to think. The only time we've seen this was during other major market corrections, um, such as the COVID crash or 08, or even the 2018 meltdown that we had. So now something is going on in the markets mm -hmm. here. Now this volatility we saw today, it was not normal. The market was down 2%, then up 30 bips, and then down 1.5%, and then up again. And then down again. And it's, that's just, I mean, this is nuts. You know, how do you manage money in this in this environment when everyone is long equities right now? So I think that it's going to be difficult to have a soft lending um, in an inflationary uh, uh, period. And so I'm I think it's going to be much more volatile and um, than Japan. And I think we're going to see some violent moves, um, mm -hmm. but. The overall indices may perhaps, um, you know, just continue to drag lower with some steep declines at, at some parts. Uh, but I think we went from buying the dip to selling the rally. Uh, maybe I said this before, but it's 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 kind of how we are positioned. And when we have a big steep decline, you now we take some off the table. We wait for a little bounce. We're going to come back in and short it again. That's that's our plan for now. 
It, it seems like uh, going back, like, uh, I don't think the VIX is, anytime the VIX would break below 20 or 21, you can anticipate that it's going to jump back up again, just based on the, the way it's technically positioned. People, so, are, people are, are addicted to trying to obtain some form of return the quickest possible. So, you know, and everybody's watching the markets and everybody's on their phone, everybody's on a computer. So, you know, there's a little, there's a little different dynamics going on in the markets. What, what I would also say is just like, you know, this type of volatility, Tavi, and you would agree, I, I would expect you would agree is, is just, this is, this is the new normal, so to speak, at least for the short time being, like we should anticipate this market to continue to be this volatile and violent at times. Yes. And I think VIX is just not reflecting that uh, because if you just look at VIX today, it doesn't reflect the volatility we had intraday. Intraday was insane volatility. Um, you know, it, it's been, I can only imagine if you're just long only fund, long, a ton of technology names, you know, your portfolio basically swing all over. You know, I think there's, look, I think, I think there's a, for the last 10, 15, even 20 years, the market always came back because there was nothing limiting or compelling central banks from printing money, or if you want to use the right term, expending the balance sheet, their assets of uh, in their balance sheets, uh, and the monetary base and the money supply, and allowing that liquidity come into the markets and drive prices higher uh, of financial assets and, and worsening the inequality issues. Well, the reason why central banks are able to do that is because we didn't have three major imbalances at their peak yet. Now we have the debt problem. Now we have the inflation problem. And we have the valuation problem. So you, you know, you completely, it's almost like central banks are going to become irrelevant in a few, in a few years, I think. Maybe not right now, but I think in a few years, it's going to be like when bonds went to zero interest rates and negative and became irrelevant for some time. I think it's going to be kind of the same way soon, um, where they can't do much. You know, they're going to they're going to take it up to 2% and then they can't do anything about that. They're going to go down back to uh, to buying back the, the back end of the curve because um, otherwise things become unsustainable with 10-year yields rising too much. Um, so you know, there's going to be some mechanics here. And, um, and those mechanics, I think, will continue to lead to allow inflation to run hotter than they won. Um, and I think more and more with that, uh, you know, staying in, in place, I would say, allocators will continue to look for hedges and inflationary uh, setup. And I think commodities will continue to serve that, that as, a, as a big role for, um, for a way of, of, of hedging against inflation. You know, I'm, I'm excited about the precious metal space in the sense that I think that the chaos that we're experiencing and the volatility will only create an environment where it'll revert back to me, but at a much more explosive pace than ever seen before because there's too much tension around the world and the moment the world realizes what's going on in the sense of the the, the, the geopolitics the wars the inflation the labor problems the generational problems the social security uh, net value uh, liabilities that are coming our way in the west for example uh, the aging population which will you know, put a lot of pressure on the economies uh younger generations which are a lot less productive and in the in the wealth gap that you're experiencing around the world driven by you know central banks and stuff like that it only entices governments to need to spend more in order to maintain their appearance 
And so I think that it'll create an environment where it's going to cause a massive explosive bottleneck for precious metals, where people are going to rush kind of like a bank run, but towards precious metals, just, you know, from a behavioral standpoint or a sentiment standpoint, I think that might, you know, that it's a possibility. Yeah. Um, certainly. I, I think if that happens, then I will be done with my life, <laughs> but uh, um yeah, well, certainly that 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 is the view of Crestcat and uh, all the people that work here. Um, you know, we think we think there's no way around this. You know, those three imbalances are too large, disproportionately large historically, and we never face this three problems at once before. Uh, we face them separately, and again, they're all separately very explosive. It could be explosive. Uh, and cause a lot of issues to the health of the global economy. But when they're all together acting at the same time, it's even more concerning. So, yeah, I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm worried, but I think it's one of the best opportunities I've seen in my career. So, you know, I am, uh, that's why we build a, comp, uh, a, a fund, you know, a separate fund, just to focus on exploration assets. And um, I think, uh, you know, hopefully, if the environment continues to pan out the way we think it will, um, I think those companies will benefit tremendously because we're going to need new copper deposits. We're going to need new silver deposits, uh, cobalt, and you know the, the list goes on and on. And so we're going to need experts with niche uh, expertise in order to, um, to, su to succeed in, in finding those discoveries. And so hopefully we're one of this you know, smart capital kind of uh, fund uh, navigating that space. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more other funds that will see the uh, same opportunity and, and try to build a similar business. Uh, I, Tabby, I know you have to hop off here very soon, but I just want to ask you like one last question. Um, we're seeing oil prices obviously skyrocket because of, you know, tensions in Russia and the, there's supply, there's, there's really a supply issue, but now with restrictions going down, you're going to see demand for travel, I think, increase. And that's going to have, you know, a, an effect on oil prices as well. Um, what's your message to a lot of the sort of climate hysteria people um, who have just demanded that we need to shut down every single oil well in the world without actually realizing like the fundamental consequences that it's going to have on the supply side. So like, what's, what's your message to those people uh, to say, Hey, like we actually need oil in the world. Um, I think the technology has improved and made it at least somewhat more cleaner, but like, what do you tell those people to say, listen, there's a serious consequence if we just abolish it completely. How do, how do we, how, you know, what's a good way to objectively look at the market, you know, to understanding why oil has a purpose? Yeah, it's a tough question or a tough message to be delivered because I'm also a believer of, you know, of, of a better environment for, for all of us. And totally, I think, I think, um, um, unfortunately, you know, we cannot have all the, you know, houses and, 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 and pans and cell phones and, anything without, you know, without materials that are necessary to, uh, to drive uh, things in general. But um, I think oil is, is extremely strategic uh, geopolitically. And um, I'm a little concerned about the miscalculation of the green revolution mm -hmm. and what is driving so quickly, the lack of funding and capital available and credit available for companies to, get those natural resources that we need 
for the next uh, one, three years, you know, this is literally what's going on right now. And so it created major inconsistencies. You know, you can see it with Apple's market cap being 40% higher than the entire energy space while they produce much less free cash flow than the entire industry. And so obviously we shouldn't be looking just from a capital perspective, but I think it's important just to show how the markets have swing to one side. But to your question again, and to your point, I, you know, I, I just think that we all need to be open-minded and not close-minded about uh, the need for oil in the short term, um, given the fact that the whole world functions um, you know, with oil right now. And if we do want to make the electrification work at some point and change all the electrical grid and have electrical vehicles and um, you know, we got to think about how are we going to supply this? And, and copper is, is going to be a major part of this and some other base metals too. And even silver is going to play a big role. And so let's, um, you know, let's think about this, how we can do this in a better way. We are trying to do that as well. And I think there is a lot of issues in mining as a whole from an ESG perspective. And we certainly try to be very conscious of that. Uh, but uh, but there is a rush uh, towards avoiding uh, this, uh, you know, this whole industry, um, and I think it's it's the wrong it's the wrong uh, the wrong path. I think we need to go back to uh, you know going back to producing, developing, and exploring oil uh, in the U.S. and and make a better transition towards uh, electrifying the world. This all sounds easy, um, and I know it's not easy, but. But certainly what we're doing currently is very wrong, in my opinion, and it's going to cause a major spike in energy prices uh, that will be even more painful for consumers and for the environment as well. It's interesting because when you were saying the, um, the lack of CapEx and the whole undesire to, uh, to provide capital for the oil industry, you know, it, 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 it kind of perpetuates the cycle that, well, if they don't have, if they can't properly get capital investments to spend, to innovate, then ESG could perpetually becomes a problem that can't really be eliminated because you can't innovate. You can't spend towards it. You can't improve the industry. So this lack of CapEx, you know, it's ironically, the more you, the more you allow them to spend in the short term, the more you can in the long term improve the ESG conditions of, this, of the industry. And you can, it kind of tells you about how politics are distorting the market, the economy around the world, because there's too much political involvement in the overall economy, you know, and that's, it adds to all this, in, uh, this chaotic environment. Yeah, no doubt. I think uh, there's a huge part of that. Um, not energy companies have maybe have a very bad reputation, just like gold and silver companies have had over the years. Um, this whole industry needed uh, some sort of wake-up call, and maybe this is the case here. Uh, the thing is, the unintended consequences of what's happening certainly is driving metal prices and commodity prices uh, to unsustainable levels when it comes to, uh, again, to function and economy. And so, um, now I, I don't know where we're going to go from here, but I, I do think that those miscalculations are already in place and mm. it's going to take a real long time in order to, um, you know, to, to have excess supply that drives prices lower. So, you know, I think, again, this is even more bullish than the 70s, more bullish than the 40s, more bullish than the 1910s. 
know, if you're, if you're looking to build wealth, I think commodities is maybe the best way to do it in the next 10 years. And so that's where my focus is right now. That's a perfect way to kind of segue into the end of this discussion, because I know that you have to hop off here, but Tavi, this is obviously a great time and a great discussion with you because, you know, if, you, if everybody listening, if you're not following Tavi on Instagram, Instagram um, yeah. it's probably one of my favorite uh, macro kind of charting uh, pages. So <laughs> yeah. Tavi, keep up the great work on that page. It's really interesting. We're going to continue to repost it. Um, in the meantime, uh, we'll see you in Vancouver in a few months. Uh, mm -hmm. But I guess the message is simple, right? Just just be long commodities. And I think you'll, 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 you're, you're going to generate more alpha than mm -hmm. most people would anticipate, right? I think so. And you can find your own niche. I found my own niche in precious metals and a little bit of base metals. And I'm long other commodities, but you can find your own niche in many different ways in this space. Um, there's a reason why I went to precious metals. The, the, the thesis is pretty long on that too and very comprehensive, but you know, there's, there's money to be made in the entire space. So thanks guys for having me again. Look forward to meeting you in person as well. Absolutely. And thanks for, for having me. Awesome. Tavi, see you soon. And uh, Colin, take care. We'll see you thanks. soon. Absolutely. Th thanks. thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time on the new gen mindset podcast.